a lot of the times the same battles you're kind of fighting in races is like your body is just in a lot of pain and you know you're trying to figure out a way to push through it and convince your body to keep going. That was Garrett Heath and this is the Running on Om podcast. I'm your host Julia Hanlon and I want to know whether you've been to the food store recently and been totally overwhelmed by how expensive it is to eat healthy. I know I've been there, but today's podcast sponsor, ThriveMarket.com, is making it accessible and sustainable for me to eat healthy and at the highest quality while not exhausting my paycheck. So what is Thrive Market? Well, Thrive Market is a revolutionary new online marketplace that gives its members direct access to their favorite healthy foods and goods at wholesale prices. Think Costco meets Whole Foods Online, where you can shop organic, non-GMO, and vegan products up to 50% below the retail price, shipped nationally to your door for free within two to three days. So what's the downside to being a Thrive member? Well, honestly, there is none. Thrive has saved me money on my groceries every week, nourishes my body with the highest quality organic food, And my favorite part of being a Thrive member is that for every paid membership, ThriveMarket.com donates a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or veteran so we can all thrive together. You never have to pay full price for healthy food again, so go to ThriveMarket.com slash partner slash running on ohm to get your free 30-day trial and 20% off your first order. This special offer is only available to real listeners. So here it is again, ThriveMarket.com slash partner slash running on ohm. And for more information on Thrive Market, check out this episode's show notes. Now, let's dive into our show. Hey friends, if this is your first time tuning into Running on Home, welcome. And if this is your 180th time, welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon. And what do we do here on Running on Home? Well, every week, twice a week actually, I bring you conversations that are beyond just the nuts and bolts of yoga and running. Here at Running on Home, we dive deep with wellness pioneers who explore the mind body spirit connection through different mediums from actors, meditators, musicians, athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs. Some of the people I bring on for all of you, you may know and revere, and others are undiscovered gems. So thank you for trusting me with your headspace and heart space every week. Today's conversation is with Garrett Heath, professional runner for Brooks. Now, if you follow the running world, you may have heard Garrett's name recently in the headlines. As the runner who's beating some of the world's greatest runners out there, Garrett recently took first place at the renowned Great Edinburgh Cross Country Race, where in the final stretch, Garrett outkicked Olympian and European record holder Mo Farah for the win. This was Garrett's third consecutive year taking a win at Great Edinburgh, and Garrett also took the win at U.S. Club Cross Country Championship this past December. Garrett's love of cross-country started in his youth in Minnesota, where Garrett won two state titles in cross-country skiing and six state titles in running. Garrett not only has had success in cross-country, but he's also tore up the track with a sub-four-minute mile to his name and many other speedy PRs. Garrett's had a really interesting point in his career as a professional runner, where he's moved up from the 1,500 meters which he focused on in college to now focusing on the 5K. What has allowed Garrett to have success at these various distances, though, is the same. Garrett has a deep sense of what works for him that he's carried with him throughout the entire time. In this conversation, Garrett shares his running story, his unique journey as a professional runner who has trained on his own, was self-coached at a time, and now runs with the Brooks Beast Track Club in Seattle. Garrett recounts some of his big wins, the first time he broke four minutes in the mile, and even reveals the ingredients for his legendary pancakes. 
If you're not a runner, I'd encourage you to still tune in. Garrett's story of determination, consistency, and humility is one to inspire anyone who has a passion for getting better at what they love. Garrett opens up about the doubts, the challenges, and why listening to your body is secret to any type of success. If my conversation with Garrett moves you, let us know. Reach out on Twitter and share this conversation with your running buddy, your mailman, your uncle, your friend, or someone you know who needs some inspiration on finding what works for them in running or in life. Thank you for listening to this intro. Thank you for supporting Running On Ohm. And let's dive deep together into today's conversation with Garrett Heath. I'm actually fairly big on podcasts, or I was bigger on them because I was training alone actually for a long time uh, in Palo Alto, and so you can only run and sometimes you can only run and listen to your thoughts for so long. Listen to enough music all day because I was I was living alone and training alone. There's a lot of a lot of time like you listen to I listen to music at home, but like. I was like, I can't just really listen to all my same music running. And running is good because like, I like to be out there and think. But, uh, you know, also like need some sort of mental stimulation. And so I was doing that as well, listening to some podcasts and stuff. Well, if you think about it, like so many people have training partners so they get to talk and process things right. with. And so it's like you need a training partner. Right, yeah. That's part of the reason I came here or a lot of the reason I came here is to have some training partners, I mean, other than NPR. <laughs> NPR. NPR and ESPN. <laughs> That's awesome. NPR, a lonely distance runners mm-hmm. partner. <laughs> so what was what was the inspiration to come here? Like how did you meet Danny or get connected with this team? Uh it was really just kind of prompted because the end of my uh my stocking contract came up. Um and so I've been training in Palo Alto and uh Anytime your contract comes up, it's kind of a natural time to reevaluate. Like, as a runner, like your professional career, you know, maybe one year, maybe two years, you know, you're kind of living year to year. And so, at the end of any contract, you kind of reassess where you're at and do I want to keep running? Do I have the ability to keep running? And, like, you know, is this the right place? And so, I've been training in Palo Alto for probably like four or five years post school post-college um and for a while it was great like my brother was three years younger than me and we had like a great training group between him chris derrick jake riley jt sullivan brenner gag so there's like four or five guys that were like really strong distance guys so i was a little bit shorter distance than them but they could always push me on the long stuff and then i could kind of like split off and do some of the short stuff on my own um but they all eventually graduated and moved on to train in other places and it was basically just left to me and um, <clears throat> JT Sullivan and just like he uh, he was kind of like on his way out and I, you know, I kind of needed to figure out something else too because I couldn't train alone for, uh, if I knew I was going to try to make a run at another Olympic cycle, uh, thinking about one year is kind of like feasible, but thinking about doing like three years of training on your own, it's just, it's too much. So, um, you know, I kind of started looking at different options out there, like different teams. Uh, and this was kind of one of the the main ones that came up. Um, obviously, there's a couple in Oregon as well that were good. And my brother trains um, with Jerry Schumacher's group. And so kind of like, you know, try to just flush out all options. Um, and Brooks, you know, was one that like, they were, had a lot of passion building a new team. Um, and, you know, met up with Danny and he was immediately liked what he had going on here. Um, he's 
a young guy, so I think uh, <clears throat> he was still working on building his reputation as a coach, um, and so getting people to buy in. But he he knows his stuff, and you know I, I think like age is maybe uh, seen as too big of a factor sometimes because if you know what you're doing and you know you're able to kind of motivate the people under you, like it doesn't doesn't matter how old you are. Um, and so it's been it was a yeah. Kind of like a, a great connection right from the right from the start, and I had a lot of ideas about what had been working for me, and luckily, his ideas were very similar for what might continue to work for me. But adding in a few other stresses, uh, especially doing weight room stuff, which I had never really done, uh, at least since like high school, um, and so doing some of that and just a few other kind of things to work on, kind of speed development for me because. Uh, in championship races, it's uh, it always comes down to the kick. Uh, you know, there's a lot of early season races where you can kind of grind out and maybe whittle people down, but it seems like every year, Olympic trials, U.S. championships, it's always like that last 400 meters where everybody's grinding out, and regardless of how tired you are, you got to be able to close in 27, 26 seconds for that last 200. So, um, yeah. When you were in Palo Alto, were you self-coached or did you have a mentor or coach there? Uh, I pretty much always had a coach. Uh, so I had three coaches in college um, and the last one was Jason Dunn, um, who stayed around for uh, two years, I believe, after I had graduated and just continued coaching me and coaching the team there. Um, but then he moved on to Kentucky. Uh, a lot of our coaching staff moved out there one year. And so when that happened, it was it was too hard to kind of carry on a coach coach athlete relationship across the country. Um, and so I started. I did a little bit of training on my own, and then kind of quickly transitioned into running for um, working with a guy from my hometown back in Minnesota, actually that like nobody in the world knows of. But <laughs> I like uh, he's one of the smartest guys I know as far as training, and we just grew up with. Him is like a family friend. Uh, he coached the D3 school in my hometown for cross-country running and skiing. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes people like maybe discount somebody's experience because they're not D1 or something. But, you know, I think he knows as much as any D1 coach out there. Um, and at, th at that point, had stopped coaching. He's living out in Bozeman, Montana, actually. Uh, just doing some uh, cross-country ski lessons, and he's an instructor and kind of runs a ski ranch in, in Bozeman. And so just started working with him. Uh, and it was funny because, like, when I started working with him, he's definitely he's a guy who's really just off the grid. Like, he, he doesn't have a cell phone. Uh, he didn't have, like, really any connection like to the outside world where he was. And so I had to buy him an iPad, and we would Skype. Uh, and so that's awesome. Um, yeah, we would, we would just sit there and I'd call him up on Skype. And he, he I mean, he's kind of always around at later at night or figure out a time that worked. And then we, you know, kind of talk back and forth. But the first couple of times were pretty funny because he had never really used it before. And now he's great with it. But uh, yeah, I worked with him for like two years. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Like, I can't, you know say enough about how good he was and for my career I think and really kind of keeping things going in that patch there where I didn't really have anybody to train with and having that person that to really talk through training with that like 
one-on-one relationship and help me think through everything because um, I think uh, <clears throat> the difference between college and professionals are that uh, in college you kind of like get a lot of training from your coach and you just do it. Uh, and as you kind of get older and more experienced, you have to kind of internalize some of what you're doing for your own training and figure out like, okay, like, yes, like I need, you know, like I want to do this workout, but like, I want to do it to like the level, the effort level, not like the necessarily the exact intervals. And so I guess working with him, like we talked through a lot of that sort of stuff. So I think I got to know a little bit better exactly like kind of what sort of stuff works for me, how my body responds to different things. And so, um, really helped with like coming up here and transitioning to, into being coached by Danny, um, where we can kind of like go back and forth a little bit and I can give him a little bit more insight on like, kind of like what I'm thinking as opposed to just, you know, like, Oh, uh, I'm sore. I don't know. What to, you know, like I give him a little bit better feedback on some of those situations and, why I'm thinking why I am and he's he's pretty good about adapting training um for for everybody on the team so yeah that's so interesting because I think a lot of people um when they decide to take the professional track they may come out of college and jump right into a training group Mm -hmm. and not necessarily have that like listening period where you actually have to like mature in yourself and so you probably have like a much deeper body awareness an awareness of what training, as you said, like resonates and doesn't as maybe mm-hmm. some of your training partners even. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, <laughs> maybe too much sometimes. Cause I think when you're training alone, like the, the plus of it is that you really do get to know your body really well because so often when you're in the group, you're just trying to hang on and you're like, you know, whoever's doing the hardest workout that day, everybody else is kind of like basing their effort off of that. And if you're training alone, it's like, all you're thinking about is you're constantly evaluating how your own body's feeling and like what the workout's doing for you, which is good and bad because it's uh it's tough because like if it's a hard workout, like man, it just grinds at your your head. Like I mean, there yeah, were so many you... days where I just wanted to stop or you know I um, did a couple of stints training in the mountains alone, and especially those days, like you drive to go work out, you warm up alone maybe you listen to a little music to like keep yourself kind of sane and then you get on the track and do a workout alone and it might be windy. And so you got to adjust your times for that maybe a little bit, but I'm kind of stubborn. And so I tend to try to still hit the times, even if it means going harder. And so, uh, you learn the hard way. A lot of times that you go too hard and then break down and then it takes a little bit longer to recover. And then you got to kind of like get better, I guess the next time. But, uh, I think it also toughens you up for, for racing because that's a lot of the times the same battles you're kind of fighting in races is like your body is just in a lot of pain and, you know, you're trying to figure out like a, a way to push through it and convince your body to keep going. Um, and so for me during that time where I was alone for running, um, I guess the races were the most fun because I actually had people to run with. <laughs> and so it's like I was just excited to be out there and like basically it would be like training with other people again um and so I really looked forward to racing uh, as opposed to workouts that were just kind of <laughs> long grinding solo efforts yeah so what what kept you me- mentally motivated during those efforts like if you can even bring me back to one memory of a workout at a track 
yeah by uh, yourself like where did that fire burn from um trying to uh i guess like for me like it really helped having that coach there that was like keeping me accountable um because kind of like i said right after jason uh done had left stanford and before i started working with john skemp uh the other guy um there was probably like a month or two span there where I was just kind of doing my own thing. And when you're making up your own workouts and working alone, there was a lot of days where like, I would just change the workout on the go. Cause you're constantly like, well, if I made this up, like maybe I made it too hard to begin with, you know, maybe I need to go easier. Like you get like three intervals in, you're like, this is definitely too hard. But I think when you have somebody externally coaching you. So when John started coaching me, it was like that really, helped just keep me accountable because I knew we had kind of talked through things. I knew he knew what he was doing. I trusted him a lot more than I trusted myself to like think up workouts or kind of like go through a training plan and a whole cycle. Um, and so once I like eventually got out the door, which was sometimes a hard part when you're training alone, like you can sit and drink coffee for two hours and three hours and time just keeps going by, especially <laughs> if you're a professional runner and you have nothing else to do. Um, but once I got out there, you know, I knew the workout I had to do. And um, I guess that more than anything just kept me accountable. Um, I guess uh, there's the one nice thing about Stanford is uh, the tracks open to the public, too. Um, and so there was always like people out there, uh, not necessarily like people that were like on the team or anything, because I'd usually work out at night, but there'd be people just kind of like regular runners out there that I, a few that I got to know, uh, who would like kind of always be like, or just like jogging around and doing their own thing too. And so I think, uh, you, that helps hold yourself accountable too, is just cause you know, other people are out there doing the same thing, watching what you're doing. If you pull out of a workout, they may not know for sure, but you feel like they might know that you, you can see <laughs> it in your eyes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so going back in time, talk to me a little bit about, um, why you started running as a kid. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess I really started in uh second grade. Uh, I didn't do any like serious running then, but I had moved from Wisconsin to Minnesota with our family and, uh, went to this new school and had basically met like one per made like one friend, uh, at the time. And he was like, he was the best runner in the class or so he told me and he was kind of like telling me how good he was and I you know I was like oh well I, I feel like I'm good uh and so we did a <laughs> we did like the PE mile uh on the track and we were both kind of I don't know like talking smack back and forth as much as you can in like second grade about who was gonna win and we went out and we had a battle and his mom actually showed up to watch uh, and he destroyed me. <laughs> and so like, um, kind of from that moment on, like him and I just, uh, it was a good rivalry. Like, you know, we just pushed one another and I even like all the way through high school, uh, the same dude, the same dude. And, uh, I still, you know, he's like one of the guys that I still stay in touch with back in my hometown. Um, but you know, it kind of got started there and like our family, used to take a ton of trips to Colorado uh, in the summers where we would go for just like a week or two. And I think more than anything, we'd just kind of like have fun being active, like didn't never really run. Uh, I can't remember actually any time that I actually just ran, uh, but we would hike the mountains there. There's a ton of 14ers. And so we would 
go out and just like long day hikes and pack food and move slow and I don't know, try to like summit a mountain or kind of like, I guess it was like, that was like the very beginning of like goal setting, even though I didn't really know that, that, you know, I wasn't necessarily setting goals, but you know, we were trying to like summit a mountain or we'd go on a family bike ride or um, whatever. Uh, But we have, we had two tandems uh, bikes. And so we'd go out with the family and my mom and my, uh, it'd be like my mom and myself and my dad and my brother, and we'd go out and cruise around. So it'd be quite a, quite a combo between the four of us. That's awesome. I love tandem bikes. They had one on my college campus. Yeah. They're coming back. Yeah. Actually, I think I've seen one in Seattle. Actually, this morning I saw one driving here. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Seattle. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Seattle is, is a place to see them. Everybody bikes here. The rain rain snow sun it doesn't matter yeah people are hardy mm-hmm. <laughs> so with running in high school is that when you actually started to like go on formal runs yeah you spoke to just kind of during your childhood it was more just organic being outside yeah we uh really started in like sixth grade uh we could join the high school team and so i started running cross country in sixth grade uh the track team was a little less formal until high school but like cross country was always like Cross country has kind of always been the sport that I really loved, uh, especially like it was just like we had a great team. There was like a bunch of like uh, upperclassmen that like I always like really, you know, kind of idolized coming up through sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, and we had a group of about like five or six of us in my class that we always just kind of ran together. And uh, it really was just like a social experience for so long where we're just, you know, it was just fun running uh in racing and you know i was super competitive from the get-go so like we we're always competing against one another to try to beat each other in races or you know workouts or whatever and the coaches would be holding you back but uh, yeah i think like <clears throat> a lot of the a lot of the credit for really just keeping my motivation going was like my coaches in high school were really good at just they were very, uh, very disciplined, but at the same time, like had a ton of fun. And so like, uh, I remember, you know, we, at when we were younger, especially we'd kind of get like shouted out a little bit, keep in line. And we were always kind of causing trouble on the bus or something on the way back from meets. But like, uh, you know, they kind of instilled a lot of the, I guess the values that I still have today. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of keeping it fun or, you know, maybe even if they were shouting out of shouting, kind of like funny, like we'd be out like running. And uh, one of our coaches, I had a saying, it was like, run you pot liquors. Uh, and I just still don't know what it necessarily means, but it was always like a, a motivate, like be like, run you pot liquors, run like, but like much harsher tone. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to really uh, imitate how he said it, but uh, yeah, you know, they, they do that or there was two of them that would kind of spar back and forth uh, with jabs against one another and just. Sounds um, like it was a playful environment. Yeah. It was like discipline, but playful uh, at the same time, which is I think a hard balance to achieve, but um, was yeah, the perfect setup for kind of like just keeping everybody interested, but also like, pushing you to keep run harder, running harder. And you want to, you want to run well for them too, you know, and then they made you want to run well for them. So. And you also skied in high school, Nordic mm-hmm. skied. Which one did you feel like was more of your love at that time? Uh, it really went back and forth. Like in the, in the fall, like cross country was my love. Uh, and then when it came to ski season, like 
it switched over to that. Uh, we had a, a decent number of the same people on the ski team. Um, and maybe even more bonding time on the ski team because we would travel like two to three hours each way. It seemed like every weekend for a while to uh, ski meets because um, we were in southern Minnesota and we would take a bus up to northern Minnesota. So you just had a lot of bus time with like the whole team, which is great bonding time. Um, and so we just, you know, I guess it, it just kind of like becomes your entire life, like was cross-country skiing. Like we were just gone every weekend and every week then we'd just do school and train. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I guess I love skiing because of the elements, like the the same reason I love cross country is like, it's a little bit more unpredictable. You just have, there's so many other variables in it outside of like track track. I mean, I love track too, because it's like the running and it's kind of just uh purest form or like the, the easiest way to just really measure one person against another. Um, but I think uh, cross country and skiing really just like add those variables in there. Like skiing, it would be, you know, frigid cold or sometimes it'd be icy and you'd be easy to fall or sometimes it'd be you know um really slushy warm course and depends on the waxing too so there's kind of a, a lot more variables that come in um and i you know i can remember like one state meet in particular that it was like it was 30 below zero with the wind chill uh and I think it was actually like 35 below because I know they couldn't they couldn't start the race until it was warmer than 30 below zero with the, um, I think like for like 30 minutes or something. And so like they kept postponing the race, postponing the race. And finally it got to be like 29 degrees below zero. And they like brought everybody out to the start line. And it was like, it was, so the way we did it was a pursuit race where the classic race went, went first and it was just kind of like a time trial setup. And then the skate race went second and you went out in the skate race based on how you'd finished in the classic race. So if you'd won the classic race, you went out first. And then if you were five seconds behind in the classic race, you went out five seconds later. And so whoever finished the skate race first was like the overall winner. Um, and so this was for the skate race. And I like, I think, uh, yeah, I was, I think I was going out first. Um, but I was out there and I remember they like said, take off all of your clothes. Like, cause it's like counting the clocks counting down. There's like 30 seconds left. So you get down to like, you're just skin suit and you, yeah, you're freezing there. And the other clock kept counting down, counting down. And it got to like 12 seconds or something. And the clock just froze. And like, it was just so cold that like the clock couldn't even work. Um, so we had to like go back and set inside and like eventually, got out to race again, but like it was, that was one of the coldest races I've ever done for sure. And I feel like those experiences, um, as you've said, kind of create a mental strength and hardiness to you. And what I know, I don't know a ton about cross country skiing, but what I do know is that a lot of the efforts can be pretty low intensity, but really long in your mm -hmm. training and in your base building phase. Whereas it's like, as a high school runner, you might, might not have the the durability to go out and run for three hours, but you can go out and Nordic ski for three hours, not a problem. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like that kind of base set you up for running at the collegiate level? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's huge to get that sort of like aerobic work. Um, and you know, there's a few guys out there done very similar things. Like if you look at a guy like Ben True, uh, he was also a cross country skier in high school and he and I actually raced one another uh, a few times at like the national meet um, 
although we didn't really know who one another were, were at the time, you know, later on kind of looked back and was like, oh, yeah, I remember racing that guy. But uh, I think, you know, like you said, like skiing, you can just go longer. And like the hard part about running is like it, you, I mean, like the good and the bad thing is you can only train for so long, like specifically running without breaking down, you know, like you, you at a certain point, if you go farther, it's actually detrimental to your body. Um, whereas I think if you look at skiing or if you look at some of the cross training things that are out there, like you can go longer and there is that side of your, um, aerobic development that is missing if you do just run, um, especially early on. Uh, and I think that's, I probably would credit that a lot and like building the aerobic base to be kind of like a distance runner in high school and, um, college, I moved down a little bit more towards the mile in 1500. And some of that might be because I wasn't really skiing anymore. I wasn't really biking in the summers really anymore. I was just running. Um, and the same could probably be said about now, but I think finally I'm to the point in my career where I can do the mileage can come up a little bit more to the point where I can get at least some of the aerobic benefits, uh, that you can skiing, but even still, it's like, I only go two hours for my long run, which is like a pretty average day for cross country skiing. So, um, there is something to be said about being able to do those workouts where you really just deplete your energy stores and you can just like go to the point of like bonking basically. Like you can't, I mean, you can go to the point of bonking running, but like I don't go far enough to actually get, you know, there's a lot of marathon or ultra marathon runners that do, but, uh, I don't go far enough and my body can't go far enough to bonk running, but skiing, I've had some horrible days bonking out there. So, so you said already that in college you focused on the 15 and the mile, and now you're more focusing on the 5k. What has that been like to move up in distance for you? Did it feel like something that was your decision or your coach's decision or both? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I kind of always knew that I would move up again. Uh, I was like a 5K cross-country guy in high school. And I think more than anything, I like badgered my way down to the mile in 1500 <laughs> in college. Uh, I like I got injured my sophomore year and we had a new coach. Uh, and so... <laughs> I kind of like was like, yeah, I think I just need to run shorter. And like, you know, I'd actually been lucky enough to have some success in the DMR and the mile leg. Um, and part of it was like, I just really wanted to break four minutes in the mile. Um, I think that's like a lot of people's goals. And at the time, like in high school, never really like considered it even a possibility really. And then kind of got to college and saw that it was like, there was that carrot that was like kind of right there. Um, and so... I guess like wanted to go for that kind of like all out. And so like, I just like kept pushing to run the mile and stuff. And finally, like my coach, like, you know, he was a great middle distance coach. It was Peter Teagan at the time. And he's, I would say, you know, probably one of the best middle distance coaches in the country at that time, if not ever. Um, and so we would, you know, do a bunch of speed and, you know, I'd kind of always told myself, like, if I ever break four minutes, like, I'll quit running. Like there's nothing else to do. Like, I mean, <laughs> cause I never thought it would happen, you know, like, uh, never really considered a real possibility. Um, and so then like, I like, I remember like finally when I did, like there was like a stretch where I was like, I don't know what my goal should yeah. be anymore. Like that was it. Uh, like, I mean, obviously I want to run well for NCAAs and the team and stuff like that, but like individual goals, I was like, that's, 
that's I don't know. <laughs> that's it. Like but, I reached, I reached it. Yeah. When did you? What year did you break it? And take me to that race. Like, how did the race go down? Was there someone rabbiting you, or your parents <laughs> there? Like, bring me there. Man, I wish I could remember more about the race. Uh, <laughs> I think it was my junior year um, <laughs> indoors. It was. I know he was here at UW, um, and I, I can't remember even how the race played out. But I know that. My teammate Russell Brown and I were in there together and we had done just like a ton of training together. And so uh, it really helped that we were both kind of like he had hit the standard before, but it really helped that we were both kind of going for it together. And uh, the one thing like I really do remember about that day is that my brother was running uh, junior cross country nationals in Boulder. And so I remember running the race and like finishing and breaking four and like my like roommate my college roommate coming up to me and being like i think your brother just won u.s cross and like putting me on the phone with my brother and like he had just won cross and i just broke four and it was like the best (laughs) moment of like our family running uh and it was just uh, yeah i just like kind of still remember talking to him on the phone briefly there and it was just yeah it was really cool um just kind of both just kind of sharing that moment and being like super pumped for the other person and like uh in a moment that was probably like the most exciting achievement, I guess, of both of our careers at that point, um, maybe ever. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was really cool, and that kind of overshadows everything else. I don't really remember much about the race, but I remember that, like that conversation and just like that, and just kind of the excitement about how much fun it was, like being able to both have that. And my dad was out there with him, and I think my mom was back home watching both of them. So yeah, it was. It was a pretty surreal uh, time. How has your relationship to your brother, like, how has it been with you guys running together? Do you feel like he's more of a training partner to you, a competitor, or just your brother? Uh, Really, like, I guess just my brother. Uh, I don't know. We've always just, like, we've done so much together, like, training, but, like, it's not... We've done training together, and that's been, like, the best thing is, like, I remember going to college and just, like, really being excited for the time that he was going to like be developed enough that like we would be able to actually train together because three years in high school is a lot of time. And so like, even though he was good, like we just couldn't train together. But by the time we got to college, uh, we were about on the same level and I can like still remember the first race where we really ran together was like our pack the pack 10 race um i think it was in oregon maybe at like oregon state golf course or something um and i had been like a little injured that season and he was like pretty fit especially for uh i guess it would have been a freshman then and like we were out on the course and i just remember like we were running we just happened to be running like right next to one another and like i just started following him and i was drafting him and like I just kept kind of barking orders at him to like go catch this other person. I'd be like, go catch him. And he'd, he'd like kind of put his head down and reel in that guy. And then I'd just kind of follow him. And then I'd point out somebody else like, hey, you keep going because that guy, he'd, he'd move up. And then, I, yeah, I was dying way worse than he was probably. But eventually, like, we got close to the end and he had done all the work and I outkicked him. But <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was the younger brother, so he deserved to kind of be in that role for the first race. I couldn't let him be me the first time out. But, uh, yeah, I think we both remember that, just kind of like 
fondly, even though for him it didn't work out quite as well. <laughs> Your brother mentioned to me you have some interesting stories about biking at Stanford. Uh, I had a few bike crashes at Stanford, yeah. Um, <laughs> what I, happened? Um, yeah, there was, uh, I guess, a few crashes where, I don't know, Stanford, everybody bikes there, and not everybody's necessarily known for being a good biker. Um, so I had, yeah, I had just like one or two where I was just going probably too fast through some windy corners and went down. Um, there was one probably in particular that was a little more dramatic where I had had this great cruiser bike my freshman year. Cruisers are awesome. Yeah. It was like this orange cruiser. It was like very California, very California. I was pumped to be like out on the West coast, like felt like I was living the beach bum life even though there was no beaches there. Um, <laughs> and like my bike got stolen. Uh, and so I had to like, I ended up like picking up this bike that was like, it had no brakes. It had like a basket. It was like purple on the front. It was like a woman's bike <laughs> and that one got jacked too. And so for a while I was just uh, doubling with friends so like people who had bikes i was always like the bigger person so i would usually bike and then they would sit on the handlebars and so we'd ride around campus and go to practice because it was like two miles maybe to practice from where i was um and there was one day where this girl on our team uh was doubling with me from where we'd gotten some food or been hanging out and going down to practice and so she was on the handlebars and i was biking and she didn't have any brakes on her bike either. So there was two of us on it and no brakes. And we were just, we were a little late to practice, um, which wasn't that uncommon. Uh, and so we were really trying to go fast and we were coming down this hill. Um, and at the bottom, there was like two bollards, which are, you know, kind of like the, just the big wooden posts. They were probably like four feet apart. So like wide enough for one bike to go through at a time, but not two. Uh and some girl was coming from the side, kind of like at a right angle to us. And you could see from a distance that she was about to, she was headed for the bollards as well. And we kind of started shouting like, hey, like we don't have brakes, like you should watch out. Um, and then finally just like, watch out. <laughs> and you could, it was one of those times you can tell from a long ways off, like based on her speed and our speed, we were going to reach there at the exact same time. And so like we got sure enough we got to the bollards at the same moment and like we couldn't all fit through and we're going like 15 miles an hour so like there was no stopping us like <laughs> either we were going to hit the baller and go down or hit her uh and so i ended up uh i guess making an executive decision for all of us <laughs> and I, I stiff armed her into the baller and we just kept going <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it would have launched the girl on the handlebars off the front of the bike and so uh we kept going we couldn't stop i felt horrible because we couldn't stop <laughs> to see if that was, like we gotta go to practice <laughs> couldn't see how she was but she had hit the baller and she looked like she was getting up okay <laughs> oh my god uh, she's out there listening you're sorry yeah i'm really sorry <laughs> So in college, you know, you've said you focused on the 15 and mile and post-collegiately you've moved up to the 5K and even most recently at um, Great Edinburgh, that was an 8K and yep. Club Cross was a 10K. Yeah. So what has it been like even just in the past six months of like running distances that are even longer than the 5K? Like, how have you found that to be? You've obviously uh, had a lot of success in it. Yeah, it's, 
I like it, but at the same time, it's just like a so much different pain. Uh, it's just like this grinding pain. Like, I guess like it just grinds down to your soul during the long races. Like, whereas the 1500 is kind of like, it's really intense pain, but it's quick. You know, the 5K just, it really just grinds for a long time. You're really just kind of like, there's a lot of, a lot of time to think out there and think about how bad you're hurting and like, contemplating like slowing down and stopping or you know like what how much you can handle um but I, I think like when it feels really good there's like nothing more satisfying like in the race in edinburgh like uh for whatever reason like it's the best like i felt amazing you know like pretty much the whole way and like uh i think part of it was you get, like an adrenaline rush at the end when you have a really good race or then something like special is going to happen and so like I think, like, I never actually really thought I was going to beat Mo. I mean, I wanted to, but, like, never really considered it as a real option. Uh, mainly went in trying to think about not embarrassing myself more than anything. Um, and so, like, finally, kind of, like, at the end when I did realize that I was going to, it was kind of like a huge adrenaline rush. And so even afterwards, like, felt pretty good. But the one in, uh, the one in San Francisco, the 10K there, like, that was – one of the most long grueling hard races like I think I've ever done uh John Gray the guy who was second just kept the pace like really hard from the gun and I was hanging on by a thread for like the longest time and it was I mean I just tried to keep it close enough there's maybe a chance I could kick him down but like even then it was like trying to convince myself there was a chance during the race because like like I said there's just so long to I was just like weighing the options in my head and I, I probably reevaluate stuff too much or like to uh, do too much thinking out there sometimes. But yeah, it, it can be like, it can be one that just like really grinds at you to like, it takes like a week to, rec- that one took like a week to recover from. Um, Mentally or physically? Both, I think. Uh, I'd been a little sick going into that one too. Um, and so that I think even though I felt better by race time, I think my body was like still just like a little worn down overall. So then throwing the race on top of it really just kind of like beat everything up to the point where like, I just couldn't really work out that week and was kind of a little sick afterwards again, then probably just cause I don't know, kind of like, uh, when you're so broken down, you get on a flight next to a million sick people, like you're bound to pick something up. So yeah, I just, it was that was a tough stretch after that, but probably good to just kind of like take the time to regroup and then felt good by the time we got to Edinburgh again. What when you're doing races, you say your mind evaluates all the different options. Do you have any like certain phrase or an image that you work with, or are you mostly just focused on keeping your competitors in, in eyesight? Like, what do you feel like is your racing power? Um, I mean. I guess the one thing I fell back on is that, like, I know that I don't, like, drop out or I haven't really dropped out in the past other than maybe, like, one or two times, Uh, even though I do think about dropping out a lot. And so, like, I guess, like, I know that I've been through the same suffering. And so, like, when you get there, like, it hurts really bad, but you're kind of, like, convincing yourself, like, okay, I've run through this before, you know, like... I can suffer for a while, like just try to hold on. Um, but I think it is like, it's not like really in depth thoughts. It's more just like the simple thoughts of like trying to break things down of like, okay, just 
focus on the guy in front of me and follow him for a while and try to like get in I'll think about trying to like get into a rhythm and a um I guess like a breathe like keep my breathing calm and uh just like stride just try to like be smooth um and try to focus on things other than how much I'm hurting I guess uh but there's I don't know there's there's no true magic to why uh how you can overcome i feel like every race is like different and trying to figure out ways to like it's all about like that's like the mental side of the sport i guess is like figuring out ways to convince yourself to keep going when it really hurts in great edinburgh when was the moment when you were like wow i have a chance at winning or i'm actually beating mo uh i mean i thought like maybe like i was there was maybe like a two percent chance that i thought i maybe had against him with like 800 or a K to go like I felt really good still but I was also thinking like Mo feels really good you know like because he was kind of moving around too uh and I put in a move like 800 out and he followed me and I could tell that he was right behind me because everybody was cheering for him right behind me to kick kick me down um (laughs) but then like it probably wasn't until like 200 meters ago you go across the stream crossing there and I kind of slipped out. You go up a hill too. You go up a hill, yeah, that. and you jump across the stream and I kind of like looked back just because I had kind of turned around, just caught like a little glance that I'd maybe had like a half stride on him. And at that point I was like, maybe there's a small chance. Uh, and so I just kind of like kicked as hard as I could and it wasn't until like I looked back, which you're never supposed to do with like 30 meters to go, but I just... Had to look because uh, I couldn't hear people cheering for him right behind me anymore uh, and saw that I had a little gap. And so then it was just kind of like pure adrenaline, just like, you know, euphoric moment, just where it was, I mean, I don't know, just really surprised. And yeah, it was, it was pretty unreal. Yeah. So a race like that, you know, as you've said, there's a huge adrenaline output. And it must feel like kind of a high afterwards, you know, to accomplish oh, yeah. something really great and to have the whole world see it. On the flip side, like, do you ever feel like there's ever like a come down or kind of like the emotional like, oh, wow, I just did that. Now, kind of like what you're describing after breaking four minutes in the mile, like what's next? Yeah. Or yeah. is it, or do you just ride the like wave of joy? <laughs> yeah, I think you try to ride the wave of joy as long as possible, but usually it doesn't last like as long as you hope. <laughs> like you come back to reality a lot quicker. Um, yeah, I think like after anything like that, like it is so high that like you kind of want to like you raise your expectations, which is what you want to happen. Um, but at the same time. Uh, yeah, like when you raise that ex- expectations, there's also more pressure. And so like to try to think about elevating and change, like changing everything doesn't really make sense. Um, so it's, you, I guess like I've always tried to like go back to just doing the same sort of things I've been doing because it's been working, I guess, or like it worked to get to that point. But it is hard to like readjust or get back to like figuring out like, okay, like now I don't know, like, I don't want to have a letdown in the next race, you know, like, okay, like, it was out of fluke. Like, you're always kind of, like, questioning, I don't know, regardless of how fit you are, you're always kind of, like, questioning, like, where you are and, like, what you're doing and what everybody else is doing. And there's just so many unknowns out there that are, like, you know, transition from cross country to the indoor track and eventually indoor track to outdoor track. And, um, you know, the elements just change a lot that, you you know, you're always kind of wondering, like, oh, is this going to translate over to the next race? Like, will, you know, I know I felt amazing in Edinburgh and like 
that was unreal. But like now I'm going to the track and everybody else has been doing like more track stuff. And maybe like, I just, maybe I'll just get beat up on now. Um, but what you're speaking to is like the humanness of it is that like, no matter what level you're running at, um, everyone has doubts. Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> just like, that's just the human predicament is to like be doubtful of ourselves at times. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think different people deal with it differently. Some people are, you know, come out kind of like give off a persona that they don't have any doubts, but in some people you can see right through them that they do have doubts. Uh, and it's just, you know, I guess whatever works for you. Um, but everybody definitely is worried about it, you know, like, or is kind of like, maybe there's different levels of confidence and some people are more, much more confident in what they're doing, but on all, all levels and all, you know, every person in the race is, I guess, nervous to a certain extent about what, what's going to happen that day. When you said like coming back to what works for you, what do you actually mean about that? Like specifically in your training structure here? Yeah, I just, um, I guess it goes back to like when I was training with, you know, John kind of alone post-college figuring out what really was kind of like defined me as like my training and like what worked to like get better and also stay healthy and then transitioned over to working with Danny here. And like, uh, I think we found just like a good cycle of training to be in as far as like doing a lot of aerobic stuff, but like, you know, kind of maybe having one harder workout a week and one a little bit easier workout a week and, you know, fitting in some strides there to work on speed and just kind of like, uh, I guess there's an element of just kind of like being in a similar routine and cycle that like helps put your mind at ease too. Uh, it's kind of like your pre-race routine, you know, like uh, I think everybody's kind of got one or I, you know, mine basically starts like two hours out from a race um, and it's just one of those things that like, once you kind of like flick that switch and get in that routine, like in training, you still want to put different stresses on it. But like, if you're in that generally same routine, it helps kind of like take some of the pressure, um, and take some of the, I guess, like the thought process or about like overthinking things out of it a little bit. And yeah. so just kind of getting, getting back to that and not trying to like, just because one race goes really well, all of a sudden change your training and like now I want to work out even harder every day and like do all these things different, you know. You're speaking to the power of consistency. Right. Yeah. Which I think is the key to the sport in general, you know, being consistently training for long periods of time is, you know, when you see people make kind of breakthrough performances. So. And this past weekend, you actually did transition to the indoor track, um, running a 3K North Carolina Tell me a little bit about that race. What was it like to actually be on like a flat surface versus the mud and slush of Edinburgh? <laughs> yeah, it was way different. Uh, it was it was a 200 meter flat track, which is like the first time I'd run on one of those since like high school. Um, and so the flat tracks, like it just puts a little bit more stress on you turning those tight corners, especially like if you're a little bit taller, bigger guy like myself. Um so I was a little unsure how I was going to feel just beyond that in general. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, the first like 200 meters felt like super hard, uh, like way harder than it should have. And I was like, oh man, this could be a bad day. Like <laughs> this could be tough. But, uh, after that, like, I think like gradually, at least for a while, like the pace started to feel, feel better and a little smoother. And I kind of settled in behind the rabbit and then Lawi Lang was the other guy who was ahead of me and, um, 
just yeah i tried to get into a rhythm kind of like we we're talking earlier just like thinking about like just being smooth as opposed to like really focusing on times because it's easy on the indoor track especially a 200 meter track to like see the clock every lap and just like count down the seconds um and so yeah like it felt it felt good for not having done a ton of like specific work at this point um for racing like a 3k uh and finally got to like the last like 400 meters or so and kind of wanted to try to make a move like i felt like i had a lot left in the tank or at least a, a kick left in the tank um but sometimes you go to make that kick and there's nothing there and uh, i was uh getting a little bit of adrenaline rush because the crowd was like so crazy there and there was i there was actually a little kid with like well not that little but like sixth or seventh grader i think with like 50 meters to go on the track who was like shouting at me like saying my name like every time and so like every time i come past him i would like get this like burst of adrenaline uh or like you know kind of like motivation like okay don't let this kid down Uh, you're super bad yeah so kind of made as hard of a move as i could from like 250 meters out and um felt really good until like 100 to go and then i was kind of out of gas but uh Luckily, by that point, I had a little bit of a gap and uh, could maintain it at least to the finish line. But yeah, it was, it, I was happy for the first race out, like when you don't know what to expect and to kind of have the kick be there a little bit at least, um, especially since that's going to be a big part of indoor nationals and then eventually outdoor nationals. So, Did you ever get to meet the kid after the race? I did, actually, yeah, because I went over and I was like, who is shouting at me over here? <laughs> like, I wanted to put a face with uh, the voice. And the kid, like, came over later and was like, hey, that was me that was shouting. And so, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's cool that, though, like, one voice in a crowd can make such a difference. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm sure you've experienced when you spectate races, like, you're cheering for your friends or teammates and you're like, do they even hear you? Right, You know, right. do they even hear me? But, like, you actually heard the kid. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, sometimes it's just kind of the noise. And so, like, if you're adding to the noise, like, that adds an element, too. But, like, sometimes you can just hear, like, a particular voice and... I think part of it was because indoors, it's just so close to the action. Like he was literally probably two feet from me every time I came around the track there, you know, just shouting in my face. And maybe it was just the different pitch or tone of his voice, too, that really stuck out. But yeah, every time around, I heard him. (laughs) That's awesome. So you are now like in this transition to track and eventually I think you're looking at the 5K track for Olympic trials. When you think about July, like, does that feel really soon to you or really far away? It still seems really far away because we have, like, the whole indoor season. And then I know we're going to go to altitude after indoors. We're going to go up to Albuquerque for about a month before Peyton Jordan. Um, And so having that altitude snip between now and even outdoor season really makes it seem like a long time away. Uh, So I haven't actually really thought about July much yet. Um, I mean, it's always in the back of your mind, but like, I try not to like overthink running too much. Uh, and so try to stay busy doing other things throughout the day a little bit, just because I think, you know, as a professional runner with nothing else going on other than running, you can sometimes just overthink just sitting around and dwelling on running all day. And like, you can overanalyze your body too much to the point that you injure yourself or you psych yourself out. So So what do you like doing that's not running? 
What brings you joy? I drink a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> I go, I do a lot. Uh, I go from coffee shop to coffee shop sometimes in the afternoon. Um, but no, I um, try to stay busy with like, we're, you know, stay involved with the company here at Brooks, um, doing some, whether it's some people were doing some internships in the fall here. I did one here last year, just kind of like a few hours, just kind of get to know the company or being involved in like some of the events with the company where we've done, um, they do like their sales meeting every year. So going down there and like working with some of the apparel team and the um, working with the footwear designers on some of the next shoes. Um, so staying busy with some of that. And then on the side, just kind of like trying to like stay, I guess, mentally engaged in like some sort of like academic stuff, whether it's, you know, teaching myself how to do some sort of like coding or something or like, you know, taking like a quick online course or like um, just keeping up on the news daily um, or just, I don't know, other random things that probably aren't that actually that uh, useful or productive, but uh, <laughs> at least I can pretend to do, be doing something. Yeah, no, I mean, one of my friends has the statement, which is the game is rigged. And that's kind of the idea is that like you can just be at home and have to do all your household chores and stuff. And that's still like a ton of time sometimes. Yeah. Just like being human without <laughs> yeah. a job or children or whatever. It's like there's still a lot to do. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Like when I was uh, when I was in San Francisco or when I was in Palo Alto, there was a stretch where when I was training alone, um, I worked part time for the startup in San Francisco. And so it was like. I guess back and forth between there a little bit um, or a stretch where I'd, I'd started the PhD. I'd done a year of the PhD and that was like an 80 hour week job. It seemed like, you know, it was like riding my bike home at like one in the morning and then getting back up at like six to like go back in and start or go for a run or whatever. Um, and so like during those times, like you're fitting so much into the day that now like I kind of feel useless sometimes that like I don't have anything else going on. And like, it's pretty amazing, like how you can spend the whole day and get to the end of the day. And like, sometimes I'll look back and be like, what did I do today? Uh, and like, think about some of those times where I was really productive and now maybe not as productive. But um, I think if you, the difference is now, like, I think if you're really going to try to go to the next level and make like an Olympic team, like you really do have to do everything right. Um, and so sometimes when you do have some of those side jobs and stuff, like you still can, but you risk maybe not doing everything right. And so trying to find that balance where you have, have enough going on, but like not too much going on, um, is kind of like a hard, happy medium to find sometimes. Um, and so right now, more than anything, I guess I've been erring on the side of like doing too little than too much, um, which can be hard at times, but, uh, I can't complain either. <laughs> We've spoken a bit in this conversation about like the mental struggle and the pain that racing brings. If you meet someone on the street who's not necessarily a runner into the competitive side of running, how do you explain to them like why you love running or what do you love about running? Um, I, th I think like the two main thing or I guess three main things for me is like I'm super competitive. So I love the it's like an outlet for my competitiveness you know to like race other people um and like test out my own fitness um two it's like really social and i think like a lot of like the best 
friends or just people that I've met that like I really felt bonded with, like I've met through running in one way or another, you know, it's like whether it's been through going on a run with him or just in the running community um, through, you know, Brooks or Saucony or through just teams. Um, And then I guess like the third thing is just like kind of like testing your limits as a human. And I know it sounds like really kind of like (laughs) cliche or weird, but like, you know, like there is something to that. Like, just like, I do like love just running sometimes and like work, like workouts, like you just pushing yourself. You don't always want to push yourself to the, the limit, but like, you know, just being out there and really kind of feeling that where your body is kind of like really working efficiently when you're really fit and just like having those days where you feel really good doing something really hard so it doesn't necessarily even have to be I mean it's nice when it comes in a race and it really gives you that like uh euphoric moment where you might like win a race and like everything really comes together but like there's also the times in practice where you you know like you feel really good and maybe you're just like it's you and your teammate out there like grinding hard and you both have like a great day and like um I don't know like it's kind of like those moments that you just kind of like train hard for too and so um I don't know yeah I, I guess uh, I think there's something like in, in the three of those things that like really anybody can go for, you know, like even if you're not super competitive, I think like the other two, like pushing yourself, seeing what your own limits are, whether it's winning a race or just, you know, getting out and kind of like seeing that progress as you get better and stuff. So, yeah, it's an incredible vehicle to explore the depths of the human potential and the human mm-hmm. spirit yeah. at any level. Yeah. I mean, and, like, I think the nice thing about running is like, you get out into like the nature and kind of like explore. And so like, even in the off season, like when we're not running, like we'll take like, you know, I took a, a trip like two years ago with uh, a couple other runners. One was Nick uh, Simmons and a few other people. We went to like Yosemite national park and, you know, just went and climbed half dome. And like, so you're like, everybody in this community is like, even when you're not like specifically training for running, like everybody's just kind of like, waiting for the season to be over to do something else like active that they can't do when they're like in season, you know, whether it's like just go hike a mountain or just like be outdoors camping or, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be testing your limits all the time, but just, you know, I think being outdoors and being in nature is, it's just addicting. Agreed. I've heard that one of the secrets to your success is pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about that. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) It's been probably my secret to success and also probably my biggest downfall at times, too. Um, Do you have a secret recipe? I have a recipe, yeah. it's not. I don't know if it's secret. Um, I think I've shared it with a, a few people. And there's a actually um, my brother's group uh, and then our group kind of like I've cooked pancakes with like I've cooked pancakes for our group a ton and kind of like I guess uh the initiation now in our group is that anytime somebody tries one they have to catch a flip um that's awesome and so we've had a lot of good like moments where people have dropped pancakes or I'll have a bad flip and it'll hit the ceiling or something (laughs) or whatever um but yeah have like have a recipe I mean I, I like it just kind of like took off like a few other recipes and then kind of like added a few of my own things. And I know like, uh, my brother's made it a few times and like Chris Derrick's I've given it to him and I know he's got like a few iterations off it that he does as well now. Um, and so I don't know, like, I think that's one thing about running is like everybody runs also like for this, like 
post-run food brunch. <laughs> like, like uh, so many people in the running world look forward to that, like, brunch after, like, a long run, especially on the weekends. Um, and so my thing has been pancakes. Um, so pancakes are just for weekends? No, no. But that tends to be when they come out the most. Like, uh, I guess one year, I haven't really done that great on New Year's resolutions, but I did make... Uh, it's kind of the opposite of most New Year's resolutions. I made a resolution to eat a pancake for every day of the year. Uh, not in, not one every day of the year, but just, you know, like 365 in a year. And I think I hit it through like April. Um, so I was eating a lot of pancakes. Were you actually like keeping a tally? Uh, not uh, at the start, kind of like mentally, but then it like got, it went up so quickly that like, it was like. <laughs> what is like your ideal pancake toppings? Uh, so my like go-to setup is it's like makes the pancakes basically have some oats in them and I like try to make them pretty healthy. So like there's the one that I make is like no oil. Actually, it uses like applesauce instead of oil and some, um, oats and stuff. Uh, and then on top, well then throw some chocolate chips in there. Um, always, almost always the Ghirardelli dark chocolate ones. Um, and then. I like to go with uh, yogurt and berries and cinnamon and then sometimes syrup over the top of that. That sounds bomb. <laughs> um, and so it's like, yeah, it's like a multi-layer thing. But I think I picked it up from my mom, actually did that first. And now, like, it's just become like a staple for me. So, yeah, you kind of, like, feel healthy about it, whether or not it's actually healthy. Like, there's a lot of healthy ingredients in there. Um but, uh, yeah, I feel better about consuming a lot of them, at least. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So today you have practice. What's on tap? Uh, just an easy run today. Um, yeah, we got back late last night from the indoor race and did a long run yesterday. And so probably feel kind of tired today. And so just an easy run this morning. We'll do probably some typically Mondays we do, or I do two runs, one in the morning, one at night. And some drills, uh, some strides, and a little bit of core in the morning. So uh, it's a little bit longer day, but like nothing too intense. Just kind of, I guess, waking the muscles and the body back up and getting ready to work out again tomorrow. So. And when you say an easy run, like you've spoken about how, you know, you had the experience of training by yourself, listening to yourself. Like, will you run with teammates for an easy run or... How do you guys kind of navigate that? Because I imagine some people race this weekend, some people didn't race. Everyone's going to be feeling different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a little bit different, but I think everybody kind of like that's, you know, the thing about a team, everybody makes a little bit of sacrifice depending on like how they're feeling. Like it might go a little bit slower than you might ideally go, but like on these days it's not as big of a deal because like to just run together is more important uh, and makes it much more enjoyable. And so today is like, pretty low key. And for the most part, we tend to all be on the same page. Um, so we've got like five of us that train together a lot between, uh, it's Riley Masters, Matt Hillenbrand, Dorian Ure, and Travis Bergstrand are kind of the mid distance distance guys that pretty much every day, as long as we're all healthy, like out there together. And so, yeah, it probably be somewhere in that six thirty to seven minute pace today, but feel it out it could be slower dorian starts a little slower sometimes so <laughs> okay cool thank you so much for your time garrett yeah this is a lot of yeah, fun no problem thank you sounds like big things are ahead for garrett in 2016 and i look forward to watching him on the track this upcoming july at olympic trials in eugene and was really touched by his humility about his entire journey 
reach out to Garrett and I on Twitter. Let us know that you tuned in and maybe even ask him for the exact measurements for his pancake recipe since they sound bomb. If all that talk of pancakes makes you think about grocery shopping, today's podcast sponsor, ThriveMarket.com, is an online marketplace that gives its members direct access to their favorite healthy foods and goods up to 50% below the retail price, shipped nationally to your door for free within two to three days. What I love about Thrive the most, though, is their charitable mission. For every paid membership, ThriveMarket.com donates a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or veteran. It's truly a great cause. So go to ThriveMarket.com slash partner slash running on ohm to get your free 30-day trial and 20% off your first order. This special offer is only available for Rue listeners, so here it is again, thrivemarket.com slash partner slash running on ohm, and for more information, check out this episode's show notes. Before I sign off for the week, I want to share with all of you about an exciting February giveaway where you can be eligible to win the RAIN, an advanced recovery activity tracker that can revolutionize your training simply by leaving a review of the Running on Own podcast on iTunes. The RAIN can be worn on your wrist like a sleek and comfortable bracelet. It automatically tracks and categorizes the various activities you do, provides you with recommendations on how many hours to sleep, when to head to bed, when to wake up based on your sleep patterns, and my favorite part of the rain though is the go zone based on your heart rate variability data the rain's go zone gives you a go score every morning that tells you how recovered fatigued or ready you are for your next workout if you want to take your training and recovery to the next level simply leave a review of the running on home podcast on itunes send a screenshot of your review to running on home at gmail.com before february 29th 2016 for more information visit this episode's show notes Thank you all for listening today. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.